gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 23, the review segment for Friday, May 16th, 2014. This week, everyone do your best Godzilla roar right now. <laughs> We're reviewing Godzilla. We've been... Can we... Oh, okay. We've Never led mind. people to no. believe that Godzilla's roar sounds like a cat's meow. I don't think that's accurate, actually. I was saying coming out of the screening today, I think one of the best reasons to see this on the big screen is not the 3D, but that roar that like actually physically surrounds you. The Dolby Atmos roar. I don't even know if I saw it. In it Dolby is. Atmos. It is in I Dolby mean, Atmos. The, the sound design seems like a strange place to start talking about. This That's movie, true. Mostly like, I just wanted to talk about how awesome the roar was. But but the, the best sound design is, well, there's a let's let's dance around spoilers here. There's a makeout scene in the movie. <laughs> That's <laughs> that a good way of putting has it. <laughs> some of the most memorable sound like. <laughs> Like, I, I'm one of those people who detests when somebody comes out of a movie and they're like, Oscar nomination for whomever. Uh, but immediately, my first thought in my brain, once I recovered from just, like, serious, like sensory effect of the, of the moment was, like, just shut down the sound effects Oscars right now. I love that David willingly brought up Oscars and is about to <laughs> rave about a, a summer movie. I feel like we're in I, a weird upside-down world. To quickly jump on that point, I just read somewhere that um, to record the sounds for this movie – they like set up giant speaker system in the mid- middle of the studio lot and would like record from By different somewhere you mean the press notes is that what it oh is it in the press notes okay yeah. well i don't know i don't remember the things um it's but anyway where they point out that godzilla is a member of the genus godzillasaurus but what i was saying <laughs> was that they set up speakers in the middle of the studio and they would have like they would send guys into the eighth floor of the back room and record the roar from back there i just thought that was really cool and like get the reverberations of the the glass that's 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 cool man There's that's some nerd ass shit sounds- it, their work paid off. I mean, it, it, it really it's it is an incredible. But maybe maybe we are getting ahead of ourselves. What show is this? Fighting in the War Room. This is it's called <laughs> Fighting in the War Room. Uh, this is a movie called Godzilla. It is about <laughs> a monster called Godzilla who you might have heard of before. But at the same time, it's kind of not about Godzilla. I would argue that Godzilla has maybe less screen time than I expected. I so would it, argue that it is it's a perfect amount of Godzilla. Yeah, and yeah, and. and and it's very purposeful that Godzilla has a very limited amount of screen time, but it's the nature of his screen time or her screen time. The movie doesn't really That's true. The movie one doesn't or the other. No, they call him he repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh, it's, he's cis, I believe. Uh, <laughs> but he, it, is, uh, it is very much not about the people, despite the fact that they may have the lion's share of the screen time. But it's very heavily weighted, their screen time, to the first half of the movie. That is true. There's a really interesting balance where you've got these incredibly high uh, high shelf actors. You've got Julia Binoche and Brian Cranston and Ken Watanabe and there's OJ oh, David Strathairn. There's people who, you know, they don't have to cast in a superhero in superhero movie, God. Uh, in this giant summer blockbuster, but they do anyway, and they have these great scenes. Brian Cranston does this a very heavy lifting, especially early in the film with this emotional stuff. And Elizabeth Olsen does basically nothing but works well in the scenes that she has. And then as the movie goes on, it's not like in a Michael Bay movie or one other more traditional blockbuster where it's like, it's all chaos and the people are running around and screaming. It literally gives over to being about the monsters while also maintaining enough human perspective to make it matter, which is this 
it's it's balanced in a way that I've never seen it before, and I think that exists. Let the whole them thing. fight. Yeah, as there's Ken says. Yeah, there's a really interesting. <laughs> I feel like a lot of movies that Mouth are about large size creatures like this, the Transformers movies come to mind because they're giant, giant destroy cities and all that. Have a really hard time making the people in the context of it matter. I think Pacific Rim, and we may talk about Pacific Rim a lot in this review, really struggled with that, like making you feel that there were people involved with what was going on. And Godzilla does a great job of it by basically having the monsters and the people operating on completely separate planes. You've got the monsters doing what they do, then the humans trying and essentially failing to affect what the monsters do, and it is completely gripping. And I think David may bring up how that makes the kind of larger implications of what the movie's about and humanity's I, ability to control nature. Uh, that makes it I a lot will, more meaningful. I will, but I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, when we talk about monsters, plural, I don't want to say any more than that. All right, fair I enough. I think anyone who has seen the trailers or I think even some of the commercials knows that uh, there are other monsters in the film, but I think the role they play and uh, yeah, I, I, a lot is best left to uh, audiences to discover for themselves. I can agree with that. Um, David... Am I correct in predicting that the role of humanity and humanity's inability to control Godzilla, very explicitly them talking about how they can't really control Godzilla, is that part of what makes this movie work so well for you? I think it's a large part of what makes this movie work so well <laughs> I'm so glad me. I can read your uh, mind. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I mean, there's a lot of complaints on Twitter already from some critics who just sort of summed it out of the movie who uh, have been talking about the uh, fact that, well, there, there are two sort of, uh, opposing criticisms. One, that Godzilla isn't in it enough. And two, uh, the more prevalent criticism seems to be that the human characters aren't very interesting. They don't have anything interesting to do. Uh, and that's true. And uh, I actually think that's one of the movie's greatest strengths because uh, this is a movie that sets itself up and it's a big tease. I mean, it's very much paced like Jurassic Park. I mean, you can feel Gareth Edwards, who made a movie called Monsters for $500,000 or less. There are all sorts of numbers uh, that he shot and directed and edited and did the special effects for himself uh, and then was given $200 million to make this. Uh, has clearly seen Jurassic Park many, 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 many times. And Jaws, and, as evidenced by characters named Brody. Right. And uh, the influence is obvious um, across the board in the way the film is paced and how it uh, understands the value of I mean, thematically, it's right on also understands the value of what uh, is not seen oftentimes being a lot more powerful than what is. Um, And there there's a sequence with a monster 30 minutes into the movie involving a electrified fence that (laughs) <laughs> could not be a more explicit callback to uh, the T-Rex scene in Jurassic Park if it tried. Uh, but this is a movie, yeah, it starts off as a character story about a family, uh, a husband and wife scientists who uh, are they're engineers who live in Japan in this place, a fictional place called Janjira, Japan. Um, and they have a son uh, who is played eventually uh, 15 years later by Aaron Stewart Johnson. That's Aaron his name, Taylor right? Johnson. I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I mean, even this guy, uh, he's been in a number of movies that I think are great and a number of movies I think are awful, uh, and he never really impacts them one way or the other. I mean, I think in Anna Karenina, which is my favorite movie of his to date, uh, he he's sort of a slimy douchebag, and it works really well for the movie, but he, he's not really called upon to do much. And here he is, you know, he could not be less interesting, and it's remarkable how... Not only does that not really harm the movie, although I'm not arguing that it wouldn't have been improved if he were this magnetic character in any way, but what it allows the movie to do is slowly transition its interests away from the human characters to 
the monster and Godzilla and really what is the film is ultimately about without spoiling anything, sort of the egocentricity of us telling the narrative of, of Earth and like us being stewards of the planet. And I mean, it sounds very Miyazaki-esque and, and you know, Godzilla as a uh, metaphor for global warming and all that. But I think even more than that, it's just sort of about how um, just because, you know, people and humans are the ones are the most capable storytellers when it comes to sort of uh, how our planet functions doesn't mean that the story is necessarily about us. And uh, I think the movie is about that explicitly and the human characters and their role in the picture um, is, is the best expression of that. And I think if you had someone with the charisma of Jeff Goldblum or, or someone like that from Jurassic Park, it would be really difficult for the film to uh, deviate away from those characters. Well, you kind of need so. him. I think you need him to be pedestrian in a way so that he can become part of FEMA or he can become part of just a, a mass of people who are being attacked on a monorail. Like we want to follow him mm-hmm. and we want to have someone who takes us to the military factions and all these different places that we need to get to in the narrative to see the perspective um, and see Godzilla traveling across the world and, and these other creatures that are running around. But um, I, I think if he was too dynamic, if it, if this was about him, then we'd start to lose that global sense. We'd lose the sense right. of community. And I mean, what I'm fascinated by in this movie is, is kind of what you're saying, that this is a shared experience. This is about the world living underneath the the foot of Godzilla and watching, you know, a hurricane sweep in or, you know, a natural disaster. We we are completely out of control and let's pray that something else can combat this or that it can all go away. Um, there's really nothing we can do. Yeah, I mean, there are two really interesting things to piggyback of what you just said. One is the recurrence of uh – Parent child dynamics in the film. I mean, which if you're going to ape Spielberg, you got to have the daddy issue. But every time there is like a minor character incidental to an action set piece or something introduced, it's always a mother, father and a child. And, uh, you know, you see it literally it's five, five or six times it happens in the movie. Um, and it even in uh, some very unexpected places happens in the movie, that dynamic uh, involving parents and children. And I think a lot of it is sort of, again, about stewardship and preparing the, the planet for the next generation and whatnot. But um, Although some of it did reek of studio notes to me. There's a segment with Aaron Taylor Johnson where he is kind of put in charge of caring for a kid throughout an action sequence that felt purely... You know, we want to feel sympathy. Really? That feels very, oh, no. that just feels I, like really? the ramifications of a natural disaster. I mean, I think I told David yeah. after uh, we had both seen the movie that, I mean, there are shades of the impossible here. Oh, I thought here. the impossible a lot in that scene. Yeah, where, where you're running around and trying to help anyone you can, and I, some, yeah, they yeah, might find the, their parents, the they might not. Important, that's the most important of those dynamics that you see in the film because of how uh, immediately it echoes his experiences with, I mean, I, I'm, we're not going to say anything that spoils it, but it, it's, if there is a character to that character, uh, it is rooted in that dynamic. And I think it really couldn't have gone any other way. And I love how quickly um, they wrap that up. Uh, yes, and it, then it, yeah, I was of, grateful for that. Yeah. Um, and, but I also, what Patrick was saying earlier about, you know, us all being in this together, there's a really great bit uh, towards the end of the movie where Godzilla and Aaron whatever the fuck his name is, Taylor, Taylor Johnson. Johnson. I only have space in my mind oh, for two names. Ford Brody. How about, let's talk yeah, about some Ford Brody, names. right. Uh, but they have mirrored shots where both the monster and yeah. the character undergo the same action and shot the same way in the same composition. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it won't be lost to anyone by that point that uh, our plights are inextricably linked. But uh, it, it really does show how uh, much this was on 
uh, Gareth Edwards' mind as being sort of crucial to the film. Patches? I mean, you spoke up a little bit, but I... Yeah, no, I am definitely invested in this movie. I'm all about Godzilla. Um, Easily the best summer movie I've seen so far, but I... Do you want to talk about the action, like the... Because, like, I think it's it's well. I talk about really, the action without I, getting too much. I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned, just in the pacing of this film. You know, backing up uh, the fact that a lot of people have been talking about this kind of slow first act that doesn't really go anywhere for them. I don't know. I was really into Brian Cranston, yeah, uh, in the beginning of this movie, especially because he is this kind of power plant engineer. And I, I think after I saw the movie, I, I sent you guys this um, this moth story of this guy who was working at, um, oh, God, now it's Fukushima. Yeah, yeah. And in 2011 and was at the nuclear power plant that had this meltdown because of the, the earthquakes. And I'm like, that was that stuff really hit me pretty hard um, in just the way I, I last year we made a big stink. We being the collective Internet about. Man of Steel and a lot of movies kind of riffing on 9-11 imagery to really get under well, our skin them, and punch uh, our guts. Riffing on them without emotional care, like not like using it to make you feel bad without really thinking about. What right, it. right. And I think that this movie does it tenderly. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's careful in in using this imagery. And I think this, the power plant sequence in the beginning where Brian Cranston is just trying to get anyone to listen to him um, is rather jaw-dropping, and just really made me nauseated in a a positive way, you know? Like, there's real thrills, there's real dread in this movie, so that when he wants to go back to his neighborhood, this radiation zone, with his son, I mean, I I thought that was... It it gets a little hammy when Aaron Taylor-Johnson has to fly to Japan and get his father back, and he's in jail because he's a loon now. He wants to know what's really causing these things. And, I mean, that's that's treading the line between overly sentimental, but I think Spielberg does it in every movie. Um, And we need need that. We need those character beats. I needed those moments to really be fortified in the beginning so that we could lose track of them, so we could feel the the weight of people starting to disappear or starting to become faces in the crowd and something so much larger kind of invading the picture and one of the best shots in the movie and one of the most uh sort of quietly spielbergian flourishes is when he goes to pick up ryan cranston in the japanese uh police station and the door opens behind him and out out comes out this like goth tokyo teen and and he like goes to his parents who are yelling at him for doing whatever and then the camera drifts over and you see cranston uh behind plexiglass behind like a you know, transparent window behind it, but it's uh, it's you you know that there's a fluidity in the camera movement that I think carries over right, right. to. I mean, again, that that goes to these sort of family dynamics that are at the root of the movie, but uh, that fluidity um, and the meaning behind it carries over to the action sequences as well, which are shot so beautifully and give you such uh, you know the the takes are long. They're so like every shot. Especially the second time I saw it, I was like every shot draws your eye in a particular direction with meaning and purpose. I mean, to the point where it, it might be almost a little too orchestrated, but uh, that's not really a criticism that I'm going to level against it. But the um, and you feel before the final battle, there's this one great sequence in the Pacific Northwest at night uh, that is sort of I think it was Patches who said that it was similar to the Velociraptor kitchen sequence in Jurassic Park. It was someone who was saying that, but. Um, where they you, you on really the bridge get, that you're talking about? on the bridge and you really get a sense of like how imposing and large and 
palpable these creatures are and you feel like you, they have a real weight to them and you're relieved when uh, in the final battle a major American city is cleared of its people it's evacuated before they tussle and destroy it I mean like because you would genuinely worry about them and not just in a sort of rhetorical uh, I saw a man of steel and must be wary of this sort of way and also just speaking to that I mean it's amazing how certain sequences can play with only seeing close up portions of the monsters and being on the humans and I mean uh, Gareth Edwards has a real understanding of geography and the angular decisions that he's making to like what body part do we need to see flail and and where does the camera swoop now and then you know when the movie can finally reveal Godzilla and there can be a big battle um it goes all out like it does old Godzilla style really wide frames where it's fucking WWE wrestling at some oh, point yeah, I mean you, it is extreme no, it's like, fun you want to scream like snap his head off right right it right it becomes like a wrestling match <laughs> but and and Godzilla, I mean, I, I heard some reference to them doing some kind of practical effects. I haven't read the press notes. I don't know if there's anything to it. But there's such a weight to the Godzilla in this movie. I don't think it's a guy in a rubber suit, but you kind it, of... It is not. It is definitely not. He's a complete... I don't think they did any physical stuff no. with the actual Godzilla. He's completely digital. But you and b- believe incredible. in it at the same time. You believe a Godzilla can fight. And the way that they take the time to introduce these monsters, like I've been arguing, I mean, I think the middle portion of the movie moves a bit slower. For me, there's a point in the middle where I kind of, I think David Strathairn's scene especially, kind of, you feel like you're ready to move Oh on. my God, David Strathairn has like three lines in this movie. He keeps saying Muto, which is well, <laughs> oh the, God, this, this mysterious creature. He just, the Muto is on the move. <laughs> I could I could have watched a whole movie me too. of David Strathairn and Ken Watanabe. Saying just being Muto? Like, no. The Muto is on the move. And Ken Watanabe goes, oh, the Muto. I think that's really interesting. I think that's something to hone in on for a second because, you know, I, I think that's something that Spielberg does well. And I don't want to, like, tie it, Gareth Edwards down to the, the Spielberg blueprints. Okay, I know. But, I mean, I, you know, in the beginning of this movie, Ken Watanabe and Sally Hawkins, who, if, if there's anything I wanted more of out of this movie, was just a little more Sally Hawkins. Uh, but they're scientists of, of the... Jurassic Park ilk and they're or more like the Close Encounters. They're Godard, um, right? Yeah, or no, is that Truffaut? One of those French. What guys. are we talking? About? Who's who's in Close Encounters? Is it Truffaut? Is it Truffaut? Truffaut? I think it's Truffaut. Truffaut. Um, it's but, definitely Truffaut. You know, in the beginning of this movie, when they discover the skeleton, and it's just like Ken Watanabe's jaw is on the floor for this entire movie. <laughs> I mean, he is Spielberging, Spielberg facing the shit out of this movie, and. You totally feel it. Like, it, it owns that moment. And he can rattle off exposition. He can say Godzilla in, like, the worst Japanese. You know, it's totally offensive, but Wait, it's it's tied is, to the I, legacy. It's tied to the legacy. How is it offensive? He says... It says God, Godzilla. Because he's aping, he's aping these, like, weird tra- uh, dubs from... The 60s and 70s. It's not I like how a normal person would say Godzilla. Yeah, because the thing is that there's no J sound in the J. I mean, okay, there's fine. No decent I'm now being racist language, because so I think it's Godzilla. somewhat offensive. And But here in the script, it says Godzilla. And so it's this weird. He does say Gojira <laughs> at one point, which I was really well, appreciative. Well, Gojira is what it's actually called. No, I know that. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's it's the strange sort of like reverse cultural appropriation to hear 
a Japanese actor have, have to, to say, say the word Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, and there's actually there are really interesting things between uh, in the dynamic between the Americans and the Japanese in this movie. Um, that jumped out at me, especially the second time around I saw it. I mean, Godzilla has always had such a fascinating relationship between the two countries that obviously predates the movies and goes back to our nuclear histories. But, you know, the original film being recut to add Raymond Burr into it and being dubbed King of Monsters. And then, um, you know, the Japanese were largely omitted from the god-awful Roland Emmerich movie. But here there's an element of mutual complicity Although it, it was an uncomfortable moment for me when the Americans swoop in 30 minutes into the movie and like take over the case from the Japanese, hmm. at least from the Japanese company. Um, but I think that Ken Watanabe's, uh, to that effect, Ken Watanabe's continued presence in the movie is, uh, is crucial. But I loved how he and Sally Hawkins both, as these scientists who have made their whole life's work of following Godzilla and everything else are just sort of in awe of everything that's happening and like don't necessarily have the answers and are just like, you know. Right. You think of storm chasers or something where it's like I'm attracted to the wonder of this destruction of this of this natural yeah, I mean, occurrence. He puts himself in harm's way so he can witness what's going on because this is something that he's wondered about for so long. It makes perfect. You really get that motivation in there, which is, uh, you know, for scientists in a big monster movie, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the, well, no, I was going to talk about one of the last shots in the movie, but I, well, won't. Uh, I, think, um, I think we should do a spoiler section because there's a, a brief, a brief here. spoiler. But I have some questions. I mean, so Gareth Edwards was hired to direct this about two months before Fukushima happened, and I'm, I, do we know anything about how the story may have been altered? Yeah, they like were. That? I feel like it must. I, have been. I, I, I think it I, must have been too. They were deep into the writing process when Fukushima happened. I was not in the room. I can't specify how. You know, I, I can't. Uh, claim exactly how much of the story was altered by it. But I think um, it is, you know, I think the sad thing is that there was enough of a precedent in Japan's history to uh, sort of tell a story that that almost predicted or sort of incorporated those things that having to be explicitly written around them. But I do, I do think watching the movie that, yes, they uh, may have tweaked some things to even, you know, be a little bit more on the nose watching uh, in the first 15 minutes of the movie a nuclear power plant in Japan collapse is uh, is obviously yeah. um, raises a few notes and then there's the, the su- there's a big tsunami scene in the movie but yeah. it's actually not in Japan it's in uh, Hawaii. Hawaii but I, I mean I also thought about Katrina during this movie well FEMA shows up so. yeah I mean there's a lot that I mean that says something about modern society and what Godzilla can be a metaphor for that you know there's a lot of different reference points for it in reality that you know again kind of make it more gripping and effective but in a thoughtful way not in the man of steel way. It, the way we talk about this it sounds kind of dour but i think that the movie jumps so effortlessly to comedy so often i i'm i'm really shocked by that there's a scene one of the first encounters with godzilla fighting monsters is um it, it's cut short because they just jump to national news coverage of godzilla mm-hmm. appearing <laughs> which i thought was really funny and it's like when they cut to this tiny tv it's like the tiniest version of Godzilla you could possibly see, and you have no attachment to it. You can't feel that this is really happening in the world, and that's exactly how we experience everything. Like, can you? And they don't cut exp- back. Yeah. Like they don't cut. The, it's right. not like just a laugh, and then they cut back to the action sequence. Like that's it. It's poignant. It's poignant, and I'm laughing. It's it's or it's, it's also wonderful how satire. satire. Godzilla watching it for the first time on mm. like you know like some weird old broadcast of the black and white movie. That's it's true. Kind of, it's kind of like a meta joke in that, but it works so well. I mean. It's weird because I wouldn't think of there as being comedy, but I also – it doesn't feel 
dour. And I don't even really know how it manages that. I don't I don't think there's as much comedy in it as just like a like an energy. Like we were saying it's like what wrestling when you get to the end of it. It's so exciting and you're so like happy and invested in what's going on that watching the fights doesn't it doesn't make you feel sick to watch these monsters fight. Well, I think excited. you know, he understands. I mean, Edwards and this is, you know, it says in the press notes and I I don't want to be a show for them, but I think there's some truth to this that it, it's incredible to find a 200 million dollar movie where there's one credited screenwriter uh and, you know, maybe it was doctored, who knows, uh, I guess in most cases it tends to be, but that, you know, and then they're just given to this un, this director who they saw a glimmer of potential in the movie that I don't think is very good, but I still think makes him a great choice to direct something like this with some supervision. Um, and uh, But I think that Gareth Edwards understands that he's, that the story has weight to it, that Godzilla is not a frivolous property. I mean, if you, especially as, as Fukushima um, brings back to light, it's rooted in, in very serious things. I mean, it's the, the uh, Lucky Dragon incident which was the event where Japanese fishermen were uh, exposed to nuclear radiation during bomb tests in the 1950s was the catalyst for making the Godzilla movie. And these are like deeply serious things that define ja- uh, Japan's, you know, the last hundred years of Japanese history, more or less. And, um, and Gareth Edwards doesn't forget that. But at the same time, he understands he's making a movie about giant monsters. <laughs> and, and I think it, he splits the difference so well. Um, well, it, I think taking, it... I think it helps no, on, yeah. to have artisans working alongside him in some ways. That really helps carry this movie for me. It's not just Edwards having a sense of the stories telling or the legacy of Godzilla. You know, we talked a lot because we've had to about Marvel movies and this kind of homogenous tone they all have, this look. They're all flat so they can all be integrated and all the music is the same because it can't be too individual. And yet here's a movie with such atmosphere at every turn um i need to go look up the dp but he shot uh Sh- anna karenina mcgarvey yes he shot McGarvey, anna yeah. i mean he shot the avengers which is flat as fuck but uh anna karenina and a lot of other movies uh no it's not um and i just feel like every frame of this movie even if it's bright blue skies and flying to a green island that is that is alive and then when he goes to san francisco when Godzilla shows up, this is like entering hell itself. It's it's incredible to look at, and every shot is perfectly composed and lit. And then you have Alexander Desplat fucking rocking out. I, I mean, yeah. I, I was he I was lost my that. mind over this music. It, uh, that didn't do it for you. Desplat is always on. he's always boring when he goes bombastic. Always. And there's n- I bought the soundtrack. I've been listening to it. It's boring as shit. I disagree. I don't think this 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 music does not spiral out of control for me. There's there's like the hyper percussiveness yeah. to like the strings and the the drums and everything is working in tandem. It is it is yeah, staccato to to no hit every beat. I don't know. Full theme to it. The music doesn't stick to me at all. I mean, it's like completely functional. But the best musical cue in the movie by far is uh you know Georgi Ligeti. Tune and tune. If I can Requiem. Call Requiem. It's and used in the, the trailers as well. There's one great horn section moment towards the end of the movie, which uh, you will not miss. That uh, I think is very effective. Uh, and well, no, this I, is not. This is like not going to be Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Alexander Desplat. I mean, 
he's always boring when he goes big. It's it always feels I, like I he disagree. Falls off a studio job. I, I think this is better than compared to something like Harry Potter, the the final two Harry no, Potter Harry movies Potter that he scores scored. are mad boring. Yeah, they are. <laughs> mad boring. Go yo, give me give me some birth, yo. Give me some painted veil. What are you doing? But that's like not gonna work. Right like now? that's you you yo. can you can gravitate towards those and you can cling to them, but that's not gonna work in a movie like this. It just won't. You don't think the <laughs> The painted veil score is gonna work. The painted veil score is quite good. Get out of here. Uh, Is this a good time to move into into our spoilers? Yes, and usually this is the time when I would sound the spoiler gong, but I don't want to be offensive. Can we we just say before we move into the spoiler (laughs) section? I don't think we actually registered like our. I think you, you could you could certainly infer. How we feel about the movie. Right. We should just say right. for the benefit of the audience. Oh yeah, David, uh, give your give your hyperbole statement that got everyone mad on Twitter. Oh well, yeah, I really love this movie. Um, I I saw it today again, and I think it diminished a little bit in my mind, but I think mostly just because it was the second time I'd seen it in a matter of days, and I remembered it so well from the first time, which is rare because I have a terrible memory, um, and probably is a greater testament to the movie than anything else. But I think I said on Twitter that it was like my favorite summer blockbuster in about a decade and i think that's probably true i mean i don't really care for the batman movies inception is good but i don't think it really holds together um you know summer blockbuster is uh i'm talking about like real popcorn chewing summer blockbusters but i think really since like spider-man 2 or something uh has something been as uh as thoroughly (laughs) satisfying for me we should we should note that we are we're not the majority, I don't think. The reviews really? for Godzilla are quite mixed. Really good. I think they're quite mixed. Uh, we're we're pretty high on it. I think people have forgotten how to watch movies, <laughs> <laughs> especially. It's not a far fetched thing to say. And I I tend to I agree think in this that case. If Jurassic Park came out today without all the precedent, you know, whatever, I think a lot of contemporary critics would be like, "It's so boring. It moves so slow. Why aren't there four action scenes tied together by exposition?" I think that this this movie feels like such a rarity. It's so refreshing because it really feels like a throwback to a different time. I mean, a movie like this, technology aside, feels like it could have come out of a completely different era. And you put this back to back. I want to say Spider Man, The Amazing Spider Man Two, but I didn't see it, so I feel like it's a bit cheap. But you put this back to back with like The Winter Soldier, and I mean, this may as well be a silent movie. <laughs> it's like it feels so anachronistic, um, and in the best of ways. And I also oh. love Godzilla. I really <laughs> yeah. I got, I, as I was saying, there were parts of it when I wanted to jump out of my scream and out of my I, chair and scream, rip his head off. I thought you'd go to bat maybe oh a little more for Elizabeth Olsen, who's kind of oh. si- marginalized this movie. She's marginalized. She doesn't do much. Um, I don't. I don't think that's a really big deal. I don't know. It's not she, a problem. She uh, gives I, you a reason to care about the people who are stuck in San Francisco not doing. Anything. Late breaking news from the Twitter sphere. I think are uh, currently absent co-host dave gonzalez also really loved godzilla yeah or for four he just tweeted i think we'll i get shit his my quick opinion with 90% on next week. shit and 10 percent something from my childhood unearthed in imax <laughs> that I, is your disgusting. guess is as good as mine oh my god oh my god <laughs> i think that's positive i'm not sure that sounds quite positive uh it patches uh yeah no i'm very high on godzilla i was actually i'm i'm I got a little worried when David loved this movie, like adored it. Like that started scaring me and wor- making me worried about my own you opinion. Seen it, it. Well, no, I know, I know. I'm like, wait, I really like this. How is this? How is this happening? Is it actually, Revenge of the Fallen, and I didn't notice. Yeah, well, no, well, I don't want to jump. Oh, Dark of the, the moon. moon. Get it right. I don't want to assume 
Like, I, I can't tell you if this is the best movie, the best blockbuster in the last decade already. Like, how can I tell you that? I I haven't sat with it. And that, I'm not that's not a jab at you, saying. David. I just I, it's because of what Katie was saying about wanting to stand up and scream and like be that. Like, I wanted the movie to stop so I could just turn around to the people around me and be like, are you guys seeing this right now? Like, <laughs> how fucking awesome is this? And I have not felt anything close to that. Um, in a, in a I certainly I, I got swept up in this movie. And when we left the theater, I was the one like still mimicking Godzilla at the end because I was losing my mind. I had such a good time. and We'll, we all do a really good job. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it in a second uh, in spoilers. So, yes, I'm, I hope that people are on our side when they see Godzilla this weekend. And if not, leave us a voicemail. I would love to. Yeah. We need the other side. even though we But don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Fair enough. Did you want to do a brief spoiler thing here? Yeah, I mean, you sounded like you wanted to say something specific. Yeah, th- th- so the main spoilery thing that I wanted to talk to, besides the fact that um, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character's name is Ford, and he wears a Ford University t- sweatshirt. Spoiler. I thought, I thought it was Stanford. No, it def- I think it says Ford. Well, it doesn't matter. There's a shot in the movie where it clearly says Ford, and his name is that- Ford. I don't think that's a spoiler. Maybe it's Stanford. Stanford makes sense, but like still, it's Ford. Anyway, um, what the shit are we talking? About? The the two mutos, the mutos. Mutos. Um, first off, when they mutos. when they mate, that's when I really lost my mind. This movie. When I'm they like, pass the nuclear. This is freaking weird. That is some okay, weird ass okay. shit. So here's here's my question. So the first time I saw it. They, like, make out a little bit. They One feeds the other the nuclear warhead, and then it's the male feeds the female the nuclear warhead and yeah. then flies away. And I assumed that he was flying behind it to, like, give it some, some backdoor loving. I was really mm. not prepared uh, but, to watch that either. But, the, uh, but I think... Deleted uh, scene. Maybe, I, I think that it's... The warhead is covered in, like, muto cum. Probably. <laughs> like, we'll Safe to assume. Scene. Remember the scene where he is in Hawaii and they find the warhead, like the can- empty warhead canister by the submarine, and it's covered it's in white covered goop? In shit. Oh, yeah. I think that is. That's calm. Because I don't. I think that they don't mate. Uh, I think that he flies away. Warhead. He, like, actually leaves the scene after he hands her the warhead. And then, in one of the most brilliant visual touches in the film, the eggs are. Connect, they feed directly off the warhead. They're all they build directly out of the warhead. Yeah. And I think it's because it's been lathered in muto cum. And that's I, I'm glad we get to happens. see kind of like a ball sack full of <laughs> no, eggs. It's not a ball sack. Well, okay, it's, it's an, an egg, egg sack. sack. Well, it's yeah. still an egg sack. I mean, it's dangling like balls. Definitely, I definitely thought of the scene in the tr- second Transformers where yeah. the robots balls. <laughs> I am like, under oh, the scrotum. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the the thing that I was really gravitating towards in this whole mess, this whole mating thing, is um, how much empathy I had for the one Muto when the female Muto when they the blew exact. up the eggs. Yeah, I felt really like bad and kind of going off the the parental relationships that David was touching on earlier. I I, I had a kind of it, made me a little sad. I was surprised. And I think that's a real accomplishment when you start feeling for the bad monsters. Um, I would like to talk about how Brian Cranston is really, really good in a really short period of the movie. The fact that he doesn't sleepwalk through it is so important, and he's bringing this like huge weight to this character. I just feel like he does a lot with the character that isn't written 
in a really short period. He's just an everyman. He just makes it no, feel very not, normal. It's not that he's an everyman, though. Is that he's so put upon, and you feel the pain that he's suffered, and you feel while he's going, why he's going through this, and that he's really smart. Like you, you you're really following him. Well, how can you not? His wife is Juliette Binoche, and no, it's true. That's a loss. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, I would like to talk to the casting director of this movie because like they they didn't have to cast all these great actors and they did and it makes a really big difference in all of these really small parts. Well, it works yeah. for the marquee. Yeah, don't you think? <laughs> um, also, His death really surprises me in this. Yeah, I didn't. I actually didn't. It didn't register with me that he was dead. And maybe we're not supposed to because there's a second shot after the first Mudo attack and we see. What what falls on him like a crane or something or he's cr- he's crushed yeah. or thrown mm-hmm. from afar and then he might mm-hmm. be alive like normal movie logic says he's alive because yeah. it's got he, it's Brian Cranston uh, and yet the next scene I think is him being zipped up in a body bag <laughs> and that that was what I was like holy shit they killed really Brian Cranston yeah did uh, did anybody laugh in your theaters at any point like did, you, did the audience laugh only at the f- intentionally funny parts i, mean, I think they laughed when godzilla fucking blew open the mudo with uh radioactive breath yeah, people cheered that was that. rad when uh kim, when kim watanabe like said godzilla people laughed because it's kind of hard not to just when anyone is like his name is godzilla see that's what i that's what i meant that it was a little i mean it's supposed to be overacting like the dubs it's supposed to call back to those cheap godzilla dubs which is a little. I don't know. I don't it's not offensive. It's not offensive. I it's don't just mind. silly. But I like that this movie can veer no, into silly enough. territory. David, did you have any spoilery thoughts? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I think uh, you know. I think we were most, for the most part, able to talk about things in broad strokes without saying the word muto. Muto. <laughs> muto. A lot of times. Oh, David Strathairn, um, so good. I really liked their design. I thought that three is a uh, is a great number when it comes to these things. I think you could always track uh, where all of them were, even though there are some scenes where amusingly Godzilla appears having made no deafening foot stomp sounds on his way there. Um, <laughs> I was surprised to see. So art- yeah. I was surprised to see Godzilla fighting monsters. Like I guess I knew that there were other monsters in it. Uh, based on what people were saying about the trailers. I didn't watch that many trailers. I don't know what they released, but it kind of took me by surprise that Godzilla was the defender in this way. I didn't think they'd be able to get to that so quickly. But then I also realized, I mean, isn't that... How how do you do a Godzilla movie that's not goofy? Yeah, because I I recently rewatched a lot of the Godzilla movies, and the first one stands out. I mean, it's this dark metaphor and it's it's quite scary um considering what it's you know the foundation it's built upon but immediately by the second movie we're in goofy town i mean it's weird science fiction it's godzilla fighting other monsters all the godzilla movies are bad i'm going on right i like really strongly believe wow. that there is not a good one you no, really we, bur- we just buried the lead wait, here you really have to be into kaiju battles are you talking are you talking about did you, did I miss the part when you said the, um, the original is incredible? Yes, the original stands okay. alone. It is singular. Okay. It is perfect. Oh, no. the Godzilla movies after that are are not very good. But what is interesting is that um, by the time he's fighting like Godzilla versus the smog monster or whatever, and nature actually becomes because Godzilla is uh, represented in the original very much as he's represented in Gareth Edwards' version as sort of uh, 
nature's corrective, uh, restoring balance, and is not really. I mean, he he is a lot more malicious in certain ways uh, and unsparing in the original, where here he's just sort of apathetic. But he's a, a force of nature, and as things changed in the political and social climate. And uh, in Japan and World War II sort of faded into the background a little bit. He began actually fighting the environment in Godzilla movies. And I think that's sort of dovetailed with how silly they were. Um, but yeah, you don't get, you know, that doesn't have weight to it. Like when he fights Earth's pollution in the form of the smog monster in the 70s, that does not feel poignant. That's not commentary anymore. It's silly for kids movies. This is definitely popcorn munching stupid entertainment and and they know it i mean the godzilla movies throughout the 70s devolve into like saturday morning cartoons there's a movie where one of the godzilla movies is all about a kid having a dream that he could live on godzilla island and he pals around with godzilla's kid and they fight all the monsters of the godzilla universe like that's the end point of the first showa series of godzilla movies it's it's awful and I, I thought about that a lot during Gareth Edwards' Godzilla movies. Like, is there anywhere to go? I mean, obviously, they want to turn this thing into a franchise, but I'm glad that this Godzilla movie kind of stands alone, and it doesn't need to make Godzilla a villain necessarily from the beginning. It really can be its own beast, so to speak. It's, I think they've uh, done something really interesting in that Godzilla is completely uncontrollable by man, and it doesn't set up that he ever would be, so that in a potential sequel... If Godzilla doesn't want to do what the people want him to do, and it's entirely possible that he wouldn't, it could be a completely different set of conflicts. I think that could be really fascinating, depending on what they want to do. I but like, is, I would care about a Godzilla sequel. But. Right. Is Godzilla teetering on the edge of Pacific Rim? It's funny. You mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that we would talk a lot about Pacific like Rim, we and, and we didn't. But like, is that where... Uh, is this a balancing act? Could the, could Godzilla have easily fallen into Pacific Rim territory? Where does Pacific Rim go so wrong? Where Godzilla goes so right? I guess it's just because that's I obsessed mean, let's, with let's not, fighting. Let's, <laughs> let's just not. I, I mean, Pacific Rim is such a fucking embarrassment. Like, I'm so ashamed. Not only of the people, who but you have to acknowledge that it, it has its it has its defenders. It has wanna, its intelligent defenders. <laughs> yeah, but I would rather. It's like when like you you have a family member that did something terrible to you, and, Whoa. and just for your relationship. <laughs> Like I don't mean like in like a sexually, <laughs> but I, like spoilers. Who love who did who did something? You know, if we all do bad things, you know, you'd rather it's just healthier for your relationship to just forgive and forget and move on. And I feel that way about people who like Pacific Rim. It's like we know it's there, but I think it's just better for us if we just trudged on. And I, I wish I wish everyone was nature. like you. I wish that we could separate Pacific Rim from Godzilla. It's not going to happen because it's part of the conversation because well, because was, Guillermo del Toro was ripping from Godzilla mythology so heavily well, and, and yeah, kaiju. But, but that's more pertinent to the conversation about Pacific Rim. I and mean, we're talking about Godzilla being written around Fukushima in advance of Pacific Rim coming out, not taking its cues from there. Um, you know, I think uh, really the only lessons that I learned from Pacific Rim had to do with marketing. I think it was uh, a, a different movie from the DNA up. And uh, the fact that there are two kaiju movies in two years is uh, is not necessarily all that pertinent. I think it just really demonstrated to me a lot of where Pacific, Pacific Rim went wrong in terms of directing giant fighting monsters. You kind of start thinking that it's impossible to show CGI monsters wailing on each other and make it interesting and feel real. And Godzilla does such a good job with it that I'm just like, oh, yeah, Pacific Rim just didn't do it right. Like, I was really yeah, I so think thrilled I, with it. 
What I take exception with is the idea that Pacific Rim didn't make that self-evident to begin with. Like, oh, sure. you know, I, I, I'm with, I'm with you that, I mean, I'm totally with you that like your faith in how, how well you could um, believe that it could be done well was challenged by Pacific Rim. Uh, I, I'm right there with you, but I do think Pacific Rim also um, show it's it's as if Gareth Edwards had seen Pacific Rim when he shot this, which I don't think he had. <laughs> no, he probably uh, had. He probably no. had. No. Yeah, because he's in the legendary no. camp. He's he's watching legendary movies, of course. No, that's true. That's so funny that legendary. We didn't even talk about Aaron Johnson, the ticking time bomb, the ticking nuclear time bomb that he doesn't fix. I like that he doesn't fix it, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense that it blows Everyone up off the coast of die. San Francisco, and that doesn't matter. Well, at all. It's basically <laughs> that's, the that's end the of thing. the Dark Knight Rises, where it's like that's they fine. blow up. They blow up a giant nuke for no reason. Like it's. Right, it's such an embarrassment fails. for humanity. Their their plan fails so hard that everyone dies, just like everyone dies every time they try to do anything in this fucking movie. And they blow up a nuke off the coast that is going to cause – it's going to make San Francisco, you would think, sort of unlivable for a while. <laughs> and yeah, it's like – it's just such a massive failure. <laughs> right. the, the plan, not the movie. The plan. No, the plan, yeah. Okay, are we done with spoilers? Are we done with Godzilla? I think so. It's time to time to head into the final moment. <laughs> Act three. <laughs> Up from the depths, 30 stories high, breathing fire, his head in the sky. Godzilla, 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 and Godzilla. Speaks lightning round question. Uh, yes, I believe it was in honor of Million Dollar Arm, uh, the John oh. Hamm film, um, asking everybody what actor or actress, TV actor or actress, considering that John Hamm is known for Mad Men, um, which which TV actor and actress do we want to see become a full fledged movie star? Uh, I don't know if John Hamm is a full fledged movie star after Million Dollar Arm, but uh, good luck he's, to him. He's working on it. David, what's your answer? Uh, I am going to go with where? Where did it go? I know what the answer was. I just have to find the person who. Oh, here we go. Cody McDougal at h i underscore Sam Sparks, who says, "I'll do what David could not." Sutton Foster. <laughs> uh, yes, the bunhead star and star of uh, the stage as well. Who's now right? Star Mar is now working with uh, Amy Sherman Palladino again on a Broadway musical. Uh, could definitely stand to be in some movies. I would. I would not, especially if they were written and directed by Amy Sherman Palladino. I, I would. Uh, I'd be all about that. Did we mention that Gareth Edwards' Godzilla takes place within the Amy Sherman Palladino universe? <laughs> the uh, the Palladino verse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we made that clear in the spoiler section. Yeah. Uh, Patches, what's your pick? Um, well, I should go with our colleague at the Film Cynic who said Neil deGrasse Tyson, which he says was his answer for me specifically. Um, I love that Neil. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I kind of want to go with at Jeremy Flowers. And I, I actually, a few people said this. Um, and he said Jonah Ryan from um, Veep, who. Stole my answer, you asshole. Was all of. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> who, you have to call him by his proper name, which is Jonah. Jo- he, he came after us, actually, after um, 
Griffin Newman was on the podcast because he took a lot of uh, he he was quite angry that we called Griffin the funniest part of draft day, considering that Jonah is in draft day. So we're so, or, or Timothy Simmons, who plays Jonah, is in is in draft day. So this is also an apology to Timothy for doing that. Sorry, Jonah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Someone said Archie Punjabi. I should have gone with at Mark Walker. Uh, um, Mac, sorry. Okay. Um, since you stole mine, I'm going to go with what Jigsaw Lounge said, which is Jason Momoa, a win rather than an if. And you know how I like my dumb hunks a la The Rock. And Jason Momoa was in this terrible Sylvester Stallone movie called Bullet in the Head, which was torture to watch, except he was pretty good in it. He was kind of good in it. He wielded yeah. an axe he made quite it well. Which, I mean, it's not easy to make that kind of movie interesting at all, and he pulled it off. So Wasn't he going to appear in Batman versus Superman? Maybe he has a future in the Justice League. I don't know. I don't know. I'm making that probably. up, probably. He's probably. Let's let's start the rumor that he's playing the Flash. <laughs> he because, is uh, the Flash. We can do that. Um, I think that does it for today's fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week. I guess we're reviewing X Men: Days of Future Past. We got to. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> I so fondly remember reviewing the original and had how much David hated it. So it's going to be a good time. <laughs> probably the first uh, sequel to something that we have reviewed previously. Anyway, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet uh, all over the place. And I actually reviewed Million Dollar Arm, the other movie coming out this week. So if anyone has questions about John Hamm's work in that pretty boring movie, uh, give me a ring. And uh, I put all my work at mattpatches.com and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And that's it. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. You can find me online writing for Resolve, Davy Club. In other places, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair's Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-P-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Back on Tokyo,